We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, a podcast celebrating generosity at work. Not financial giving, giving valuable time, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Welcome to ROG. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. Today, I'm honored to speak with Dr. Wayne Baker, whose research and teachings have been instrumental and valuable to my work. Wayne is a Robert P. Moray Professor of Business Administration and Professor of Management and Organizations at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. He's also a Professor of Sociology at the University of Michigan and Faculty Associate at the Institute for Social Research. He currently serves as faculty director of the Center for Positive Organizations. His focus is on social capital, social networks, generosity, positive organizational scholarship, and values. He has published numerous scholarly articles and four books, including the one I frequently refer to and will talk about today, All You Have to Do is Ask. His management and leadership articles appear in venues such as Harvard Business Review, Chief Executive Magazine, and Sloan Management Review. He puts his knowledge into practice as a frequent guest speaker, management consultant, and as an advisor and board member of Give and Take Inc., developers of Givitas Collaborative Technology Platform. You can learn more about Give and Take and Givitas on Episode 5 of ROG with CEO Larry Freed. Wayne has won various awards, including the Senior Faculty Research Award from the Ross School of Business and the best article published in 2014-2016 from the American Sociological Association section on altruism, morality, and social solidarity. He earned his PhD in sociology from Northwestern University and was a postdoctoral research fellow at Harvard University. He currently resides in Ann Arbor with his wife, son, and Berman Cat. I am thrilled to have him on ROG. Well, thank you. Glad to be here, Shannon. Uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom and experience with us and some insights on your new book, All You Have to Do is Ask. It's been a real resource for me. And you know, my position is that there's a great return on generosity. And I deeply believe in generosity is the source of joy. You bring a whole other lens to this conversation, which is we have to ask. <laughs> In order for people to give, we have to ask. So what prompted you to write this book? I, I can trace the roots back 20 years now, if you can believe that. Wow. My wife and I had a very important conversation. She would say, okay, you teach your students how to analyze their networks, their personal and professional networks, and you give them advice on how do you build them and so forth. But is there anything you actually have them do? Is there an activity? And I said, well, not really. I just kind of keep talking and telling stories and hoping I'm going to run out of time. The bell's going to ring. So we got, we got talking about the concept of social capital as being two things. It's the networks we have, but also this principle of generalized reciprocity, where you can think about it as paying it forward. Um, it's okay, what's that? So we developed this activity called the reciprocity ring, uh, which is uh, this kind of a very specific recipe for doing it. But in short, people get an opportunity to ask for something that they need, personal or professional, and they spend most of the time helping other people meet their requests. 
Now, way back then, I always gave a little lecture on the importance of generosity, the importance of giving. I would say, you know, you got to be generous da, 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 and all that. Well, what I found was that that was rarely ever the problem. Most people were very happy to share their resources, their contacts, their advice, and so forth. But everyone struggled with asking. And if people aren't asking, unless you're a mind reader, you know, you can't, you can't help someone. So that's what I found that people had a strong tendency to help, but very reluctant to ask. So I started to research the topic. What were the barriers to that? How to overcome those? What are some practices? Um, But that was the genesis of the book. That's amazing. And so true, because I think most of us don't want to give unsolicited help. We might notice an opportunity, but we think, ah, you know, they'll ask me if they need me. And having read your book and your uh, Psychology Today article and a lot of the things that you have shared with the public, it has helped me to understand what this marriage of give and take can look like. That reciprocity ring, I think, is a beautiful illustration of how it works when it's working well. And then you even outlined these four types of givers and requesters. And I love how it's this continuation of the give and take book by Adam Grant. I know a dear friend of yours and colleague and thought partner. And so it's it's the next iteration of it of, you know, so how can we become more courageous about asking? And in your book, you talk about what gets in the way. And you even map this out in your, in your, all you have to do is ask map. You created a, a infographic that mm-hmm. I love and will include in the show notes. So talk to us about that. Yeah. Uh, most people are reluctant to give themselves permission to ask. You know, and so part of what I try to do is to say, well, you know, that that's that's an important part of the equation. It's the ask or the request that's the driver of the giving receiving process. And it's not that you stop giving, you don't focus on that. You know, I say that the most important thing to do, the best place to be as an individual, as a team, or as an organization, is that you're very generous. You help people without expectations of return, and you frequently ask for what you need. And it might be the case that the person who helps is not the one who helps you is some other person, which is, that's the way it usually happens, but you really need to do both. And so the book is very much focused on the how, because we used to give talks on this and people would always say at the end, okay, well, what can I do? How do I do it? So the second part of the book is a toolbox with all the ways that you can actually do it, proven practices for an individual, a team, or an entire organization. Oh, it's so well thought out because it does answer the questions that most of us have going into this, which is like, what gets in the way? Right. You know, why aren't we asking more? I mean, my first instinct was ego that, you know, I don't want to admit that I need help perhaps, um, but you have all of these other reasons why people don't ask for help. I think the ego one, what's behind that is there is a concern or even a fear Um, that people are going to appear to be incompetent or weak or they can't do their jobs if they're asking for help or resources or assistance. And here, the research is very helpful for updating that belief. It is a very common belief, but we need to update that. What the research says is that as long as you make a thoughtful request, people will think you are more competent, not less. So that's what, that's a belief that needs to be updated. Another very common barrier is that uh, I used to hear this all the time. I still do these days where people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ask for what I really need because I know one, I know no one can help me. No one's willing to help me. They're not able to help me. 
And here again, there's a lot of research in this that says, if you ask, the chances are very good that people will respond and you'll get what you need, right? So don't let that be a barrier. And don't, yeah. you know, don't over-rely on yourself. Self-reliance is a great thing, but it's possible to take any great thing too far. You know, don't over-rely on self-reliance. Well said and something for us to take to heart. And I know I certainly can. So in your book, you have this assessment, a self-assessment about giving and asking, and then you put it into this four quadrant view of the four types of givers and requesters. Could you walk us through that? Yeah. So what I observed through the, the assessment and my own observations working with many groups over the years is that you could kind of categorize people in four four buckets, if you will. The best place to be, and only about 10% of people are there according to the assessment. Uh, the assessment, um, as you know, it's a pretty quick three or four minute assessment, but it gives you a score on your tendency to ask and your tendency to give. And most people's score on asking is much lower than their score on giving. So the best place, only 10% of the people are there are those who are very generous and they ask for what they need, what I call the giver requesters. The most common category is the generous giver or the overly generous giver. That's the biggest category. Those are people who are very generous, help everyone, but they never ask. And as a result, they get burned out or they squander the resources or they can't live up to their commitments or they spread themselves too thin. You know, in those cases, I say we want to be generous, but sometimes you need to put boundaries around it and to balance it by asking for what you need. Now, the opposite of the overly generous giver would be the person who takes and maybe takes too much, you know, the selfish taker. Um, and I'm happy to say that there aren't a lot of people in that category, uh, according to the assessment, but there are, there are some, and they need to, you know, they need to up their, their generosity. Uh, the second most common category is the lone wolf. It's the person who doesn't help, doesn't give, and doesn't ask. You know, and in some ways, that's the most tragic category because they're just disconnected from the world in a way. They're disconnected from the networks that are there. You know, and in those cases, those the lone wolves need to do more asking and more giving. What is the case with the lone wolf? What are the reasons that you have found through your research and interviews that would cause someone to neither offer support or ask for it? Yeah, I think it's the it's a combination of the of the several factors I write about in the book. So one chapter, I actually list the eight main reasons why people don't ask. And I think it's all of those together. We've talked about a couple more already is that they assume no one can help them. Um, they're afraid to appear to be incompetent. Maybe they assume that if someone else asks that they are incompetent, so you know they're not gonna help them. You know, And the most common thing is that they think they just need to put their head down, focus on their task. The best way to get ahead is to just focus on the work that you're doing and not really interact with anyone else. Yeah, I've seen this firsthand, Wayne, because again, your book has been so useful and a catalyst for me to grow into this area more and really explore it. And with a team that I work with, I had asked everybody to make a request to practice. And session prior to that, I had asked them to make a commitment for self-care. That took them a little while to commit to or think about what they needed, but they made those commitments. Asking for help or asking for support from the team on something, I got out of 18 people, I got two who replied. Mm -hmm. And I had to keep pulling it out of them. And most of them were like, just do your work. Like if you just do your work and then I do my work, then that's really what I need you to do most. <laughs> and I found it fascinating because I was like, this is exactly what he's talking about. 
Right. Yeah. And I've seen the same thing, you know, yeah, you do your job. I do my job and it's all going to work out just fine. The fact is, is that you could be more productive, more efficient, more creative, less stressed out if you make requests for what you need and you help other people. Exactly. Because that's what you have here as a descriptor in that, in that giver requester category, it says well regarded and most productive. That's right. And that's when the bells went off, like, okay, because people want to be productive. Yeah. So when you think about those two, um, you're very well regarded, held in high esteem for your generosity, and you're the most productive because you're getting the inflow of information, answers, and resources that you need. For those of us who are going, okay, I'm willing to try. What do I do? And I think as a professor, you're (laughs) accustomed to helping people unpack complicated things and say, okay, here's the steps you need to take. So you talk about this thoughtful request and how to make a request and the art of the ask, I believe is what you call it. So tell us more about how we can develop this muscle. Yeah, there are four parts to a thoughtful request. The first is to pause and think about what you're trying to accomplish. What's the goal? What are you trying to achieve? And I write about three different methods in the book about how to do that. The quick start, which is you know, which is quick to do. There's Then there's goal articulation. Then there's visioning, which is takes longer, but can be very, very powerful. But you got to be clear about what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. The next part is say, okay, well, given that, given that that's what I want to accomplish, what do I need? What resources do I need? Do I need advice? Do I need financial resources? Do I need a connection? Do I need a referral or whatever it might be? And then the third part is say, okay, now that I know what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to achieve, the resource that I need, now I need to formulate it as an effective request. And I have five criteria for an effective request. They're SMART criteria, but these are different than SMART criteria for goals. Uh, So the S is specific. And it turns out the more specific you can make your request, the higher the probability that you'll get a response. Now, people sometimes think it's the opposite. A very general request will get you more responses, but you can't respond to a general request. The most general request I ever heard was from an executive from the Netherlands who was participating in one of our programs. And he said, my request is for information. And I said, can you elaborate? He goes, no, it's confidential. I can't say anything more. And it was, okay, well, you didn't get any help. How could you help with that, right? So uh, he was very generous with other people, but he got no help. Return on Generosity will be right back. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you are. Visit QODPOD.com. The QuadPod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. Welcome back to Return on Generosity with your host, Shannon Cassidy, and today's guest, Wayne Baker. The M is, is meaningful. It's the why of the request. And... Many people leave that out. Never assume that people know why you're making the request. Explain why. What's the, why is it important and meaningful? And the A is action. You ask for something to be done. So restating a goal is not a request. A goal is a destination. The request is an action to do something to help you move towards that goal. The R is for real or strategically realistic. You know, that, you know, it has, still has to be within the realm of possibility, although I encourage uh, big requests, stretch requests. And then the T is time you have to have a deadline. And the more specific the deadline, 
the more likely people will help. So I always say that, okay, if you need, if you need this by five o'clock Friday, this Friday, then say so. And that will motivate people to respond. If you just say, oh, you know, sometime this year, people are unlikely to respond to that. Um, and then finally, the fourth part. So it's the goal, the resource, the request using the SMART criteria. And then you got to figure out who to ask. Mm-hmm. And that can arrange for everything. You know exactly who to ask from the beginning. Um, you don't know, but you know someone who might know who to ask. Like, I don't know who the expert is, but I know someone who probably knows the expert, a kind of a two-step approach. Right. Or you can uh, crowdsource it, which is that you can um, ask a group. You don't target any particular person. You can ask a group. I think that one is one that I've experienced as a member of a Givitas community. I'm, I'm in a couple of them. And that to me feels like crowdsourcing. And I have found it fascinating about the variety of people who respond. That SMART acronym used for this is really helpful because some of us, like you said, just skip over these really important things. I find that very true for leaders that I work with. They're you know, collecting feedback from their teams. What they often say is, I don't know what she's asking me for. Very often she says, I want X and I do what I think she was requesting. And then she's disappointed because it's not the thing. So mm-hmm. the, the purpose in the ask, like you say, the, the, the why, and also the, what does it look like? When is it due? Who else should, should be involved? I think that level of detail is great for all forms of asking. And then to think about your network and who you can ask and all those variety of things. Yeah, I always tell people when they participate in some of our, our tools or practices, group sessions and so forth, is that when you're thinking about how you can help some someone, you can help in two ways. You've got the resource, you've got the answer, you can share it. But if not, don't stop there. Think about your network. You can also tap your network. And there, I mean, that's access to a large number of people. So whenever a group come together, even if it's a small group, if you think about each of them as having a whole network behind them, you, there are literally hundreds and thousands of people who are participating in that activity. And in your book, you have a lot of examples of those unbelievable connections where people got what they wanted through the connection of a connection of a connection. But if they had not had the courage to ask, that that would never have been possible. That's right. Uh, I ran a reciprocity ring activity for uh, one of the large automakers uh, here, here in Michigan. And it was a pretty large group. And so we had a number of these reciprocity rings running at the same time. I had some assistants helping me in the process. And I'll never forget, there was a senior engineer who said, I'm really stuck. I'm working on this. And he described some metallurgical problem having to do with the extrusion of aluminum. And I had, I had no idea what he was talking about, right? But other people did. And he said, look, I'm stuck and I, I need an expert on this. I need some help. And help came from the most unlikely source, a 22-year-old admin who had just been hired by the company. And I wonder, like, how could that person help? Well, she said, you know, my dad is the world's expert in this area. Uh, he just retired. So she made a connection. She tapped the network and the expert and the senior engineer got together and they solved this problem. Unbelievable. Um, so I work a lot with teams and I know indiv- individuals who listen to ROG also are leaders of teams. And you talk a lot about that and the concept of psychological safety. So I'd love for you to help us understand more about what that means and how that plays a role in this giving and asking dynamic. Yeah, so one of the barriers to asking is lack of psychological safety. So psychological safety means that the team or the group is a safe place 
to ask questions, admit mistakes, to ask for help, to ask for resources. So there are many things that leaders can do. I think the two most important things are this. One is that the leader needs to be a role model, that the leader needs to make requests as well as help. Okay, so that's one. The other is to use a number of these tools and practices that I write about. So I'll describe one, the, the stand-up is one of the simple ones. So it's the stand-up is very popular in IT and software development firms, but it has widespread application. So for example, uh, every morning at our Center for Positive Organizations, I mean, we're not a software development shop, you know, we have a stand-up. But it's a very simple process, but it's very powerful because it creates a psychologically safe space. It's easier to make a request if you know that everyone else is going to make a request. In fact, those are the rules of the game. To not make a request is letting the group down. So this is how the stand-up would work. Um, there's three things, and it goes very quickly. So each person has to address three points. The first point is, um, here's what I was working on yesterday. The second point is, here's what I'm working on today. And the third is, and here's what I need. Right? And then people would follow up later on with the help or a connection. If you know that everyone's going to ask for something, in fact, you've got to come to the meeting with a request, it makes it a lot easier. Everyone's in the, everyone's in the same psychological boat. It's not asking people to change their beliefs or their attitudes, which are really different. It's asking them to change their behavior, which actually is easier to do. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you don't have to believe this is going to work. Just do it. Yes. If people do it their experience becomes the evidence that they need to update their belief. And this is both professional and personal requests. Yeah, oh, I absolutely. I encourage both of those. Um, sometimes, you know, getting help with a personal request um, it can be just so amazing and people are so grateful for it. And it, it increases trust and it lays the foundation for making the work-related or the professional requests. I think that builds, uh, like you said, that connectivity, the trust, the understanding of what else is going on in people's worlds. And that's another myth, I think, that sometimes all we're allowed to talk about at work is work. Right. And this opens it up to you're a fully complete human with a whole robust, abundant life with all kinds of things going on. And I think it reminds us that we're all in this together. You know, we've heard that said more this year, I think, than I've ever heard. And what your research has proven is, yes, in fact, we are much better together and we're stronger, more resilient. And another benefit here is like how much time and how much more efficient it is to use this model. So could you just speak a bit on efficiency? Yeah. So uh, we've collected data uh, for a number of these activities over time, such as the reciprocity ring or Givitas, which is a technology platform that's based on the same principles. And we have been able to document uh, substantial time savings. And we started to document that and collect data on it because people early on were saying, wow, I, I probably saved six months of time. You know, or, man, I saved two weeks by getting that answer. Or I've been trying to solve this forever and I got the answer today. And people learned that Sometimes the, the real value is the resource that you get. Sometimes the value is you just saved uh, time and you saved money. But here's some of the other practices that will work. Um, there's one that I call the one problem a week whiteboard. And this can be done virtually too because there were virtual whiteboards. Um, so I learned this from some engineers at one of the big pharmaceutical companies. And they said, you know, every Friday, uh, our group of engineers would get together and we would 
you know, somebody would pose a, a problem that they were working on and we would actually write that problem on a whiteboard and we'd put it in a public place so people would walk by it all the time. And during the next week, you could pose an answer, challenge an answer, ask a question. And then that next Friday, we'd discuss what happens and we'd come up with the next one, right? So that whiteboard was an implicit request for help. Could you explain Troikas, the, the wise crowds idea? Yeah, so the... The first Troika I ever did uh, was a couple of years ago when I gave a TEDx talk here at the University of Michigan. It was in the Power Center, about, you know, about, I don't know, 2,000 people. And I said, okay, we're going to practice what I've been talking about. We're going to do a Troika. So Troika means three. A couple of minutes, I'm going to have you group up with two other people. So there'll be three of you. And each person gets to make a request for something that they need. The other two people think about how they can help. Then it goes to the second person. The second person makes a request and so forth till they get to the third person. I said, you got 12 minutes, go, right? And so the place is loud. It's a buzz, people doing all this. And at the end of that, everyone sat back down. It could just You could just feel the energy in the room. And I said, okay, if you got help, would you stand up? And we estimated that easily over 75% of the people there stood up and afterwards, people got up, came up to me and said, you know, I made this request for I'm going to get no help, but here's what happened. That's terrific. And to think that 75% of your huge audience got support, that must have been so rewarding for you. Yeah, it was, was. It was amazing. Yeah. So your favorite quote is, it may be better to give than receive, but it's best to give and receive. Asking turns the wheel of reciprocity. We have all been taught that it's better to give than receive. And giving is a virtue. We should help people in need. We should help people. If we can help, somebody asks, we should help. But I just learned starting over 20 years ago and reinforced through my research and a lot of experiences since is that generosity is not going to happen unless people are asking that almost paradoxically, asking really is the key to the entire process. And the best place to be is that giver requester, whether that's for an entire organization or an individual, and a way to be there is to be generous and to ask for what you need. You want to be in that, that giver requester quadrant. Beautiful. Thank you, Wayne, for your generosity and sharing these tools and resources and wisdom with us. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Likewise. ROG takeaway tip how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. For today's takeaway tip, it will help to have something to write on. You know what we're gonna do, ROG listeners. We are going to map out and ask. Let's do it together. Let's start with what we want help with. Wayne's quick start method will help. Consider these five sentence starters. Complete all of them. You'll choose the one that has the most meaning to you right now. Here are the five. Number one, I'm currently working on and could use help too. Number two, one of my urgent tasks is to, and I need help too. Number three, I am struggling to, and would benefit from. Number four, one of my biggest challenges in my life is to, and I need advice on. And lastly, number five, my biggest hope is to, and I need help. You may want to back up 10 or 20 seconds to capture them or go to page 65 in Wayne's book. Which energizes you the most? Which makes you go, yes, that's what I need right now. Now let's describe our goals. What's the goal and why does it matter to you? Pause and record your thoughts. When will you accomplish your goal? 
What's your deadline? What are your needs? Do you need information, advice, recommendations, referrals, financial resources or a loan, human resources like a team member, intern, contractor, participation and engagement like subscribers, likes, feedback, or maybe it's a physical resource like equipment or space. One more powerful step before we get into the art of the ask is visioning. It's the vision of a future state. It's important to see the vision of the thing you're working on because it provides us hope and clarity. Now let's work on a smart request. Specific. What do you specifically want? Meaningful. What's meaningful about your request? Why do you want it? Action-oriented. What action would be helpful? Do you want a referral? Do you want coaching, feedback? Do you want an invite? Realistic. What's possible? What could you accomplish this month, quarter, year? What's your time frame? Be specific. Now, who should you ask? Think about colleagues, former colleagues, teachers, coaches, LinkedIn contacts, Facebook friends, neighbors. How will you ask? Will it be email, video chat, socially distant coffee connection? Wayne's research shows that face-to-face requests are 34% more effective than email. So depending on the ask, what's the best medium? Please, everyone, ask. And as Wayne said, it may be better to give than receive, but it's best to give and receive. Asking turns the wheel of reciprocity. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.